You are now listening to Flash F1. Welcome to the Flash F1 podcast after an extraordinary Sunday of racing at Historic in Monza in Italy where an Italian team has triumphed. In American football, we say on any given Sunday, and and really it's an expression that means that on any given Sunday, which is the day that most professional football games happen, that anything is possible. And as it relates to yesterday, that expression couldn't be more apt for what we witnessed after a season that has been an absolute procession with six Mercedes victories and a Red Bull victory in seven races, we had every reason to assume that we would see more of the same in Monza, especially after Mercedes' massively dominant 1-2 qualifying performance on Saturday. But sometimes magic can happen, and yesterday the fearless youngsters of the sport at one of the sport's most treasured tracks put on a show for the ages, and there is no question that this will live on forever as one of the most entertaining and shocking races that we have ever seen in the history of the sport. With Mercedes finishing at 5-7, with Max DNFing, and with Albon disappointing once again after some early floor damage, we saw the first non-Red Bull, non-Mercedes, non-Ferrari winner in 2,730 days. In fact, seven and a half years. The last time one of those three teams did not triumph was Kimi and a Lotus at the start of the 2013 season in Australia. It's also the first time since 2012 that none of those three aforementioned teams were on the podium. What a result. What a shocker. What an absolute thriller. Steph, take it away from there. Talk us through the podium and the final result. I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know where to start. That was an incredible, incredible race. Three completely unexpected drivers on the podium from three different constructors as well. I don't think anyone was expecting it to look that jumbled up. I think after what we saw in qualifying, we were expecting to maybe see a McLaren on the podium, but to see a McLaren, a racing point, and an Alpha Tauri on the top step of the podium, what a shocker that was. And I'm so happy for Pierre Gasly and his maiden win in Formula One after such a difficult few years with his career, with the loss of his friend Antoine Hubert, with his demotion from Red Bull in the 2019 season. I think this is very much deserved, wouldn't you say? I couldn't agree more. And I'll I'll be very honest. Um, I I was ecstatic. I was excited for him Um, towards the end of the race. I didn't care who won because it was going to be a great story nonetheless. But to see him on the podium and and honestly, like I I saw a lot of the Twitter reaction, which was like I, I was brought to tears. I was brought to tears. But there was a photo after the podium celebration where he's sitting alone on the podium. He's surrounded by tinsel. He's clutching the trophy. He's by himself reflecting on really probably what he's been through the last 18 months. And it brought a tear to my eye and I couldn't have been happier for him. He's the 109th Grand Prix winner. This is the first time that Alpha Tori slash Toro Rosso has won a race since 2008. Incidentally, they're first race win was also at Monza but what an unbelievable unbelievable story yeah 100% I think as well he is the first French winner of a Grand Prix since 95 I believe 96 96. yeah 1996 yeah which which is also shocking when you consider the fact that we have a French team and we have French drivers and we have a French a, a race and and it was weird because when when I heard that it was like we've had a Canadian race winner and a Canadian champion more recently than we've had a French race winner which was absolutely shocking to me yeah and We've had tons of French drivers recently, especially we've got loads of French drivers in the sport at the minute. Um, I don't know if you heard Roman Grosjean's uh, radio message when he heard Pierre had won, but he was so congratulatory. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was so congratulatory of Pierre and he just seemed so happy for another French win. That was literally the first thing that came out of his mouth. Congrats, Pierre. First French win. And it was just so, so lovely to see everyone. As soon as Pierre got out of the car, every single driver literally came up to him and was hugging him. I was honestly, there were tears. 
I was just so, so happy for him. And I think the whole grid really felt the emotion of this weekend. Even Lewis Hamilton, who lost out on the win, was so... Even Lewis Hamilton was so appreciative of Pierre's work this weekend. And he was very congratulatory. And it was just, just so lovely to see all of the drivers kind of unite over this crazy race and give congratulations to everyone that was on the podium because I think they all deserved it. I think one of the things that's really important to remember as well is it the the formula one circus is is relatively small and intimate right you're you're talking 10 teams they they travel together they set up together especially this year in the year of covid where there's a bubble with kind of around the formula one world like it's a pretty intimate experience and and i i think the drivers they may compete um tooth and nail on the track but i think off the track they they have empathy for each other they sympathize with each other they respect the work that each other does and i think what pierre gasly and you mentioned this a couple of minutes ago what he's been through the last 18 months especially is well documented like everyone saw how his season started last year at red bull everybody saw that Christian Horner demoted him mid-season in, in a pretty brutal way, and they brought Albon in. Everyone that was then able to celebrate the fact that he got that podium in Brazil, they were able to mourn with him and mourn with the sport when Antoine Hubert passed away, um, sadly, at Spa. And then for this, and, and to be fair, it's not like this was a completely, sh- it was a shock win, but he'd had a solid year to date, right? Like, he'd had a pretty solid campaign, all things considered. Yeah, Pierre's performances this year have been absolutely incredible. He did a great job last week in Spa. He's just been in a league of his own this year, and that's what I'll keep saying, because I think he's on an upward trajectory, and I don't think that his positive momentum is going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, I can't say that he's going to win the race next week, but I can say that he will definitely be up there fighting and doing a really stellar job. He currently sits, and I'm taking a look right here, he's sitting eighth in the driver's title standings um with 43 points he finished seventh in austria he finished seventh in great britain ninth in spain eighth in belgium and then of course first in italy he is only if you look at the standings he is only five points behind albon who arguably is in a superior car and and you have to wonder too that if red bull don't make the decision to move him back to red bull and and i kind of want your thoughts on that but you got to think that when this kid's contract up, there's going to be a lot of big teams that are going to be gunning for him from a contract perspective. Like, who wouldn't want this kid on your team? He's young. He's charismatic. He's got a great personality. He's photogenic. Like, he has all of those great character traits. And now he's a race winner as well, right? Yep, 100%. I have a video coming out about Pierre Gasly and where he could actually go next week. Um, But there's so many, so many options. And it's like, does he go back to Red Bull, the team that don't treat him very well at all? I say no. Uh, but also, does he go back and does he consider a top drive? Because will there be space for him? I'm not entirely sure there'll be space for him in the next couple of years. But maybe 2022, 2023, when we start seeing some changes up at the top, will there be room for Pierre Gasly to go to a top team? Will there be a midfield team that is now that will be classified as a top team come 2022 with the new rule changes? So I, I'm not sure where he could go, but I think, if anything, his performances so far this year, and especially in Spa and Italy, have demonstrated that he is worthy of a top drive and he is worthy of one of the seats at a top team and he's worthy of fighting it out for race wins and world championships because he's doing such a stellar job and oh I love him so much I was listening to some of the post-race interviews and I kind of I kind of took for granted uh what he did over the last couple of laps but he was talking when he was being interviewed from the media pen after the race about the fact that over those last five races or those last five laps he almost shunted 10 times he's like look at the end of the day the tires were absolutely done but he's like I could taste the race win the team could taste the race win and he's like I was going to do everything possible and push the car to the absolute limits to make sure that he could keep Carlos Sainz behind him and and it's funny that he spoke that because he didn't play it safe right like he didn't play for the podium he's like at the end of the day he wanted the race win the team wanted the race win he managed to keep the track or the car within the, the limits of the track and and I honestly couldn't be happier for him and 
I don't even know if we've mentioned it because we're so excited about Pierre Gasly, but the podium results ultimately, um, Pierre Gasly won. He's the 109th winner in uh, Formula One history, followed by Carlos Sainz, another great result for him, his second podium in Formula One. Um, and then maybe a, a bit of a shock result, but um, Lance Stroll, third and this is his second podium and his first since Baku in 2017. Yeah, this is actually the second podium for all three podium sitters because Pierre had his podium in 2019 Brazil. Uh, Carlos also had his podium in 2019 Brazil and then Lance, obviously, uh, under red flag conditioned race in Baku again in 2017. So this is the second podium for all three of them. And I was so glad that they all shared that moment with each other. And yeah, it was just so, so lovely to see all of them on the podium. I think Carlos and Lance both kind of looked a little bit disappointed, which was really sad to see because they drove an incredible race. But I think both of them were definitely in contention for the victory as well as Pierre and it can't be easy to come close so close especially with Lance Stroll because he kind of ruined his own chances at the restart after the red flag um because he was I think he was leading uh ahead of Pierre Gasly um and yeah, he was yeah he just ended up going on the escape road so he kind of threw away his his win i'd say um so yeah dis- disappointing for the both of them but i think overall they should all be very proud of what they accomplished this weekend because it was incredible and again we're both formula one fans and like i'm, I'm happy to Are see we? anyone race in the race but <laughs> i <laughs> i'm so sick and tired and this sounds terrible but there, there's there's a certain sense of repetitiveness um and just kind of blah when every single race weekend you see the two mercedes drivers up there in their black overalls you see max verstappen maybe with a race win but probably finishing second splitting the two mercedes you see them celebrating you you hear the same comments after the race when they're being interviewed in the pen it was a hard race we really struggled with our tires the track was like to see three entirely new podium and I, I know they've been on the podium before but to see the three of them together was was amazing but to your point the, the reality is Gasly and Sainz may have gotten a little bit lucky here because coming out of that restart the only car that was in front of Lance Stroll was Lewis and Lewis hadn't served his drive-through penalty at that point so really the win was Lance's to lose and he had that absolutely atrocious start on the restart which is shocking because lance historically is a very very yep. good driver at, at at the start when the lights go out and he had a horrendous start and then to your point he locked up and gave up a couple of positions so the fact that he finished on the podium at all is is remarkable and he had to get by Kimi raikkonen to get to that point and he had to hold off uh, a surging lando norris but Ultimately, the race was his to win, and he kind of cost himself and the team that opportunity with that really, really atrocious start. So I think he should be happy with a, a podium finish. But to your point, you could see he seemed a, a little bit dejected on the podium, and I think so did Carlos Sainz because I think he felt that, hey, maybe the race win was uh, within his grasp as well. Yeah, definitely. And I hope we get another opportunity and another race like this to see how it would turn out a little bit differently so if one of those incidents hadn't happened so for example if Carlos Sainz had come into the pits it would have looked completely different because he would have come in under I think the outcome could have been completely different for example if Carlos Sainz had followed Lewis Hamilton into the pits when the pit lane was closed it would have looked completely different because he would have also had a drive-through penalty so it definitely goes to show that if we were without one of the incidents in the race that we would have had a completely different outcome because it was so so crazy so in another world we could have had Lando Norris on the podium instead of Carlos Sainz he did a great job this weekend as well finishing in fourth just off the podium um in another weekend we would have seen maybe Danny Kvyat in the place of Pierre Gasly so he was ju- he started the race just outside of the points um so they were very close together uh, with Kvyat on the hards and Gasly on the soft so it could have easily been the other way around with Danny Kvyat actually making it into Q3 and Pierre Gasly not making it into Q3 and starting it on hard so I think if we look at it objectively it's so so weird that all of these events actually converged and ended up happening so that we could have such a stellar race and the big one to kind of build on what you're speaking to as well and there was there was a ton of shock and criticism on Twitter about this but Lance kind of got a free 
pit stop, oh, right? Don't he, even get me started on this. No, I, I'm going to because I kind of want to hear your opinion. But Lance just happened to be in a position where he needed new tires and he hadn't pitted when there was a red flag. And the rules and regulations of Formula One allow you to change your wheels and tires under a red flag. So he was able to do it. And and you know what? Had he pitted a lap or two before that, he wouldn't necessarily have had that huge advantage. And and to be fair, in other sports such as NASCAR, you can't make mechanical changes under a red flag. But I can see you are super, super heated about this one. Please, fire away. I am fuming. This should not be a rule. I just don't think... I said this in my race review video that if... If there is a red flag, you should be able to change your tires if you are changing them due to conditions. So if it's a wet red flag and obviously the conditions are dangerous out there, you should be able to change your tires. Like I'm not against that. I'm all about safety first. But mm, I'm not I'm not about this. I'm not about these rules that let you just change your tires or just open your car. I think Mercedes literally had their engine out in the open. They were fiddling something on someone's car. I wasn't really paying attention to that bit because I was watching Lewis Hamilton go scooting up the pit lane, go to talk to the stewards, literally go talk to Toto while Valtteri Bottas was literally sat in his car. I don't even know what was going on. So I wasn't really paying attention to all of that. But once I heard that Lance Stroll had changed the tires I was absolutely fuming I just don't think that that should be a rule you shouldn't be able to benefit from a red flag in that way and I don't think it's fair to give someone like that an opportunity or an advantage because that's exactly what it is it's a massive advantage to Lance Stroll that he had done that and I know a lot of other people changed their tires so Lewis went onto the hards I think Pierre Gasly was on the hards and went onto the mediums not sure on that one but loads of people were changing their tires and I just don't think that that's fair so yeah I need the FIA to look at those rules because I'm not happy with I I think Lance Stroll did a great race but I do not think that that was fair because so it's not it's not like it's a new rule and it's not like Lance and Racing Point um exploited um the the regulations right like what they did was above board yeah it was fair the rule book forever um, but you're right. It's it's very very odd. And if you look at other uh, motorsport championships, like this seems to be kind of unique to Formula One because you don't see it in Indy and you don't see it in NASCAR. And it was funny because the amount of blowback that the sport was getting from NASCAR fans on Twitter was pretty significant. Um, that said, a couple of things. Obviously, uh, Pierre Gasly, uh, an unbelievable story, and I think this is something that's going to live on for years and maybe decades. Obviously, I think this had to be one of the best possible outcomes for the season and for Monza. Um, I think if somebody had said to us before the race that, hey, an Italian team is going to win this race, we would probably be a little bit surprised, but would have assumed that it was going to be Ferrari, maybe Leclerc, kind of eke something out in wet conditions but again to see Alpha Tori I think is incredibly special um, for all the reasons we talked about McLaren really back in the big leagues right like they they've had a really really strong campaign um, they're building momentum towards next year when Daniel Ricardo comes over and when they bring in the Mercedes power unit like this is a team that is a threat this year they could be a really significant challenger next year if everything goes well and they're able to integrate that Mercedes power unit I I don't have much more to say but they qualified well they raced well they could very easily have had two cars on the podium they could have had a car on the podium even without the red flag restart Um, any anything else to add on on Mercedes this weekend just a real delight to see I would have actually said that if we hadn't had a red flag we would have had a double McLaren podium because I think it would have been signs in um signs in second and Norris in third the way that they were kind of running at the beginning and it's easy to say that in hindsight but um I think they were looking really really strong and signs was definitely eking out a bit of a gap to Norris and I know Norris kind of had that train of everyone in DRS so I think he had like Perez then Bottas Ricardo was in there there was just a massive train of cars behind Lando Norris but he actually was doing a good job at defending and keeping them behind him so after all the pit stops and everything obviously the Alfa Romeos were not going to be able to stay up at the front and so yeah I think the McLarens could have definitely both stayed on the podium and it would have been absolutely wonderful for all of the McLarens to witness a double podium because it's been many many years since we've had that I think someone said 2014 I don't know that seems really soon as well because 
I don't know. But yeah, it would have been a great thing to see a double McLaren podium. And the only thing other than the actual race that I'd talk about McLaren is their pit stop. They did uh, an exceptional job with their double stack. Um, so I know Lando Norris was under investigation a little bit for, uh, driving unnecessarily slowly in the pit lane, but I looked at the footage and I didn't think it really looked that bad. He locked on entry, but and we've seen people lock on entry worse than that. Um, cause you've got to slow down for that speed limit. So we see lockups all the time. And I think because he already had that gap to Carlos signs, it wasn't really that bad, and yeah, I think they did a great job. They did a brilliant pit stop on signs to get Norris. It was literally perfectly timed and neither pit stop was worse than the other. They did a both got they did a great job for both of the drivers. So, yeah, very good job for McLaren. And it was funny because if you flash back to the first lap, we we kind of saw some foreshadowing about what the result could be, right? Like coming out of the first couple of corners, we have Hamilton, Signs, Norris because Bottas had that horrible start and maybe we just talk about Mercedes a little bit because they really did look human during this race and at the end of the day if not for the penalty Hamilton qualified exceptionally well he was going to run away with the race Um, they basically clocked back his engine a little bit early on in the race just to preserve the power unit later on he could have put a much bigger gap between him and the rest of the field but he didn't need to do it Um, ultimately he gets that drive through penalty because he enters the pits under um, under a caution um that said, though, Bottas looked horrendous, and I'm still not totally clear as to what happened. So he qualified well. He was quickly overtaken by a number of cars at the beginning of the race. He's screaming out, puncture, 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 and the team's screaming back like, "We our, our data isn't showing wrong. that you have a puncture. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly. And what, what's ultimately crazy is despite the fact that Hamilton ended up with that drive-through penalty and the fact that he had to slice through the rest of the field at the end of the race— he ends up only basically, what, a spot behind Bottas anyways? Like, ultimately, it was a very weird performance for Bottas. And I'm not totally clear if it was a mechanical setup issue on the car or maybe he just didn't have the pace. But overall, aside from the Hamilton drama, Bottas didn't have a great weekend. No, Bottas had an atrocious weekend. And I really think his performance was indicative of the fact that he should not have been given a contract for 2021. I really think the Mercedes should have used that year to get George Russell into that seat and get him used to the team, used to the car. I just do not think that Bottas is strong enough to pro- to be producing the results that Mercedes need to be seeing. He could have easily won the race if Hamilton had had to do his stop-and-go penalty and forfeited the lead, if he had managed to hang on to second place from the very beginning of the race. Because I do think, I don't think the McLaren of Carlos Sainz would have been able to challenge him for second place in the long run. So I think he also threw away a win with all of the drama that was going on within the race. And I just don't think, literally, like we said, there was no mechanical issue that the team could see. Um, and I don't know if we were, if we missed something and if they did figure out if there was something wrong with the car, but he did not a good enough job, not a good enough job to be in that Mercedes. And yeah, I just, I'm going to use this as ammunition to say that we need to get Bottas out of that team or Mercedes need to get rid of him. I, I completely agree. And I, I still can't wrap my head around what went wrong. He He looked fine in practice. He looked fine in qualifying. But the minute the lights went out on on Sunday, he was he was not in the race. He wasn't even close. So to your point, it was a huge missed opportunity for Bottas because he should have been able to cash in some really significant points here and perhaps take a race win. Um, but also, it was a really missed big missed opportunity for Max Verstappen as well. So he's sitting second in the driver's title, or at least was prior to the conclusion of this race because he gave that up to Bottas. But he had a real opportunity to cash in some major chips here as well. So Mercedes overall um, looked very, very human, very, very, very disappointing. And we just kind of alluded to this, but a shockingly disappointing race weekend for for the Red Bull team because even before his ultimate DNF, Max wasn't looking great and Elbon had an atrocious weekend and that was maybe somewhat uh, somewhat driven by the fact that he had some floor damage, but neither of the Red Bull drivers looked great. Any Any thoughts on Red Bull performance on Sunday? Poor. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, yeah. um, I just think the Red Bull in the last few years has not really looked very competitive around Monza, so I wasn't really expecting them to be in the fight for the lead. But because it's Max Verstappen, you just expect him to be there to cash in on when things go wrong, like, for example, in Silverstone. 
um, the first Silverstone race where he was there to pick up the second place that Bottas forfeited uh, with his tyre issue. Um, so yeah, obviously I was expecting Max to be able to cash in on that, but the Red Bull literally looked so uncompetitive this weekend. It literally looked like a backmarker car. It was really, really strange to see, actually. And with Albon, I think Albon's performance was really disappointing again. But I have to put it down to the incident that he had. So going three wide into turn one in Italy was not a smart decision, Alex. So you have to take responsibility for that. I think that's what inevitably ruined his race because then obviously he's driving with incredible damage and uh, he picked up a five second penalty for an incident with Grosjean, uh, I think going into turn one as well. Um, I don't really know what was going on. He wasn't able to make back up any of those places. At one point he was fighting with Charles and the Ferrari and I was like, oh my gosh, we've got two top, alleged top teams that are literally squabbling over 13th place. They're squabbling over 13th place. They're not even in the top 10. It's really, um, yeah, it's really strange to see uh, no Ferrari, no Red Bull, no Mercedes, none of the three alleged top teams in the top this weekend. Not even not even in the top five. Literally. Right? It, it's, it, it, was, it was crazy. And so Albon finishes P15 in a race where four cars were retired, right? Like we saw Verstappen retire. We saw Leclerc retire because of that uh, mistake at the parabolica uh we saw vettel retire and we'll talk a little bit about ferrari and we saw magnuson retire like to finish p15 out of 16 cars is is atrocious and and i think at least on twitter and kind of the internet world the the pressure that must be on this young driver right now is is absolutely tantamount to suffocating right so as much as we talk about Gasly's really challenging year last year it was Elbon that in an essence benefited because he got the promotion of Red Bull and he put in some great results and he could have had a really spectacular result in Brazil if not for that contact with Hamilton and there was a little bit more contact with Hamilton earlier this year but currently he's sitting behind Stroll and Lando Norris two truly midfield teams and what are technically and I, I think theoretically inferior cars like if I'm Red Bull, am am I happy? And it was it was curious as well because earlier this week Hamilton had made some comments, and these were some pretty shocking comments because Hamilton's not usually so direct, but he made some points about the fact that for Red Bull to be truly competitive, they need a driver equivalent to Max's capabilities, and they need a driver that can push Max and help Max at the front of the field, kind of like Bottas does a little bit for Hamilton and Vettel in theory had done for Leclerc last year, etc. But that. Vet or Max is so far ahead of Albon from a capability perspective that Albon can't get to the front of the field to help him win races. And and it's kind of this really tough situation. Like, I, I don't know what Albon's future is at this point, but he's got another eight races left this year with Horner and the Red Bull team. I don't know that his results are necessarily going to get better. And even if they do, are they going to be enough to salvage a seat for next year? And if it's not, who does Red Bull put into that seat because I also don't know that it's necessarily going to be Gasly because I don't know if that's the right move for Gasly. Yeah um another video coming out on this as well so I'm literally I'm loving the Red Bull family at the minute I think there's so much drama going on there and I'm really capitalizing on it um I don't know what you do if you're Red Bull like how do you react when the guy that you dropped has now got a second place you've got a driver that you demoted with a second place finish from last year after he was demoted and now a race victory when the driver that you favored over him and promoted to the team has no podium and no race win what do you how do you react to that if you're ghastly do you even want to go back to Red Bull with the relationship that you have with your engineers and that team and the fact that you're experiencing more success there than you ever did with the Red Bull team? Would you even be motivated to go back to that team and, and be under the pressure and really just be be number two to Max and understand that your role is to support Max and that he's always going to get preferential treatment and he's going to get the the most support from an analytics perspective? Like, Would you even want to go back to Red Bull? Because I don't know that... I would want to like, Hey, I was maybe, I don't know if saying I was mistreated before was correct, but I've already been dumped by that team before. If I am Gasly, I do not want to go back to that team. And it's difficult. It's easy for me to say that now here, not being Pierre Gasly. Um, but if you look at 
how they treated him last year. I just don't think it was fair whatsoever. There's no guarantee that he's going to take to that car. Like, even Verstappen and Albon have said that that car is still very much on the edge. And I don't think the Red Bull particularly looks that easy to drive this year. And I think Max is making it look a lot easier than it is. Um, so do you even want to go and risk struggling again? Because if he is demoted again, that's the end of his career. Like, he is not... I don't think he can come back from that in Formula 1. So do you even want to risk that happening? I think I saw something that he had said that he's ready to be uh, promoted back to Red Bull. Like, he's in the right mind mindset and he's he's physically and emotionally ready to go back. I don't know how you can be physically and emotionally ready to go back to a team that treated you so, so badly. And uh, if I'm Pierre... Like, I wouldn't want to go back to that team. Like, for me, I don't want to see Pierre back at that team because he's just so happy. He's thriving. Clearly, this environment at AlphaTauri works better for him than the Red Bull environment. Um, So, yeah, I don't want to see him back there. What about you? I, I, I feel the same way. And and I, I kind of think back a couple of years, right? Like, Red Bull recently had a situation where they had Max and another driver capable of winning races in Daniel Ricciardo. And that ended horribly. Like, Daniel Ricciardo had a long history with the team. He was part of their driver development program. He'd won races. And ultimately, he left for the exact same reason, which is he felt he was being mistreated, that Max was getting massive and monumentally higher levels of preferential treatment within the team. And he was an established race winner that could, in theory, contend for a title. And he still left because he didn't like the way that the team was being operated and the fact that every time there was an incident between the two of them, he felt that Max was always getting the benefit of the doubt. And obviously that really came to a head in Baku in 2018, and ultimately the relationship was completely ruined by then. But even even if Gasly was at the same level as a Daniel Ricciardo, there's no guarantee that relationship's going to work. So if I'm Pierre, maybe I'm shopping. We talked, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but maybe I'm shopping for an opportunity with a different midfield team because now I'm established race winner. But yeah, I want nothing to do with the the senior Red Bull team at this point. Nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. And you make such a good point about Daniel Ricciardo. And I think he did so well in an environment where he was clearly not being favored and it, where it was clearly a toxic environment. And I don't know how he managed to stick around and do as well as he did for as long as he did, because that team honestly looks like it's fallen apart now that Max doesn't have a teammate equal or better than him to push him to a better level. Like the team is falling apart and you can see that. And I don't believe that they will be able to challenge for a constructor's title until they have someone of an equal or better caliber as Daniel Ricciardo in their second car in that Red Bull. Because you can't you can't win the constructors with just one car. That's not how it works. That's why you need two cars. And I I think Daniel Ricciardo leaving Red Bull was the best decision that he could have made. Ideally, he would have gone straight to McLaren instead of making this little detour the to Renault. Detour to Renault, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I think that's such a good decision from Daniel, and I genuinely believe that he will have way more of a chance at contending for a title with McLaren than he ever did with Red Bull because they just can't seem to get themselves together as a team so yeah I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with Daniel Ricciardo in the future it's funny because maybe in hindsight Red Bull didn't get enough criticism for that divorce with Ricardo. Maybe it's because like, hey, we've got some talented young drivers. We'll just kind of backfill him with one of those drivers. But the reality is they had the perfect blend of drivers. Like Daniel Ricardo's a phenomenal personality. Um, he's hugely charismatic. Um, he's great for sponsorships. He's great to interview. He's a, You have to assume that Daniel Ricardo is an awesome team guy as well. Like the sense I get yep. is he, he gets along with everyone in the garage from your mechanics to your engineers to the folks serving food. Like he He's the, he's the dream personality of on your team and you 100%. broke that relationship like you scared him away like he was willing to go to Renault versus staying in a car that he could win races in <laughs> like it's 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 crazy and and I fault Christian Horner and and I fault that entire team and just like I fault them for the fact that they made that move last year mid-season despite the fact that they promised Gasly they weren't going to do it they made the move um it ended up being disruptive and now Gasly is thriving with the Alpha Tori team um and and I think all the power to him for that but I just I don't I can't see him going to Red Bull being a good thing for him in his career. Yep, 100% agree. And I honestly don't know who, I don't know what Red Bull is going to do at the minute. 
they do not have another driver that they can basically put in that team. So, yeah, it sucks to be Red Bull, but um, everyone else is living. McLaren is doing a great job. I think even Renault are have a better prospect. Renault have better prospects than Red Bull do at the moment in time because at least they have drivers that are in their academy that are ready to jump up into their seat and they don't have a B team so that they would just have them jumping up and even though we are bringing back Fernando Alonso it would actually be Renault have a better future plan or Alpine should I say Alpine, as they are now Alpine going F1. to be known yep. and and it's it's you kind of hinted at the academy piece as well right like Red Bull strategy has always been that they develop drivers through their academy they don't go out and sign free effectively free agent drivers um so Sorry, there was a little bit of noise there. I accidentally forgot to mute the computer. Um, but yeah, you, you're right. You allude to the fact that Red Bull's strategy is to develop drivers, right? Like they don't go and sign established drivers. So now they're at the whim of their academy. And they've got Kvyat, who's having full disclosure. Like, let's be very honest. Kvyat is having a horrendous season. So if you look at Kvyat's results this year, he has a 10th place finish in the Styrian Grand Prix. 10th place finish at the 70th anniversary, and he got a couple of points yesterday in Italy. But he's he's got four points this year. He's ha- having an atrocious season. So he's obviously not a prospect to go back to Red Bull for what would that be, the second or third time? Um, I, I don't know that it's a right fit for Gasly. And then you really have to kind of get down into the lower formulas to find a potential driver. But yeah, and I think this is I think this is a mess that that Christian Horner and that team manufactured. This is their making. And right now, they're second in the Constructors' Championship with 158 points. I don't know how they've managed that. Totally, purely on the back of the talent that is Max Verstappen. But yeah. uh, I, I think they're really in a tough position, despite the fact that they're going to see some significant prize money this year. Because next year, um, especially when you talk about the fact that Mercedes is going to have, or Mercedes McLaren's going to have that Mercedes power unit that year, um, Racing Point's going to have another year of experience. Like, I, I don't know that a... I don't know that's going to be a foregone conclusion that Red Bull will be second in the constructors at this point oh, next year. Oh, yes. I would definitely say that McLaren... Red Bull needs to look at McLaren and be worried. Like, they need to be scared because McLaren are coming in next year with one of their former drivers to begin with, their former driver who has done so, so well for them. And he's coming in in a team with a Mercedes engine in the back of it, a team that's just got a podium, even could have got a double podium. This team is on the up and Red Bull seems to be plateauing. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. I just don't think they're moving upwards now. Like, yes, they are second in the constructors and last year they were third, but Red Bull are literally stagnant. They just seem to have reached an impasse and it's like, where do we go from here? Whereas with McLaren, they are, mm, they're going to do great things next year. I can feel it. They're doing great things this year. They're going to do good things next year. And Red Bull need to be looking over their shoulders and thinking, oh my gosh, like someone is going to catch up to us. Someone is going to be like knocking on our door for second place in the constructors and being like hello it's me it's me it's mclaren it's me andreas move over this is like second place and we want it we're gonna have it right now mclaren renault uh their last year with that renault powered engine uh 98 points and and you think about that they're they're running a renault power unit right now and they're getting virtually zero support from renault with respect to that power unit because obviously Renault knows that relationship's over. They're giving that relationship as little energy and as few resources as possible. And McLaren is still scraping podiums out of that that chassis power unit combination. It's just been phenomenal. And I, I simply, I cannot wait to see what they can do with the Mercedes power unit next year. It's going to be incredible we would be remiss so we've talked a little bit about you know mercedes had a disappointing race weekend red bull is uh despite the fact that they're second in the constructors they're really a bit of a mess right now because they've made some really bad personnel decisions over the last couple of years they scared away daniel ricardo but i think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about ferrari coming out of the oh my gosh i was gonna bring this up where do you want to start when we talk about ferrari where do you even want to start uh with the conspiracy that they made both of their cars crash out of the race so that they didn't have to deal with the mess of not even getting points at monza the conspiracy no i'm joking um but vettel 
but out on lap six, like with brake failure, did they fail his brakes on purpose? Hmm? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but that was so funny. Literally watching Vettel just steam through the um, the escape road uh, when his brakes failed. I was honestly, I was laughing so hard. I just found it so hilarious. Like, obviously, I'm glad he managed to make it back to the pits and he was okay. But I just found it so funny just watching him go straight through the barriers. That was hilarious. And then Charles, that was a really weird accident when Charles actually. Um, went off at Parabolica like I was not expecting an accident like that he just seemed to lose the back end and that was a heavy impact so that was scary like what what was your reaction because I literally jumped up and I don't know I was shaking I, I was, big accidents just I was straight to... up in panic mode it it the, yeah. the, the way they the way they cut it um it was kind of a weird angle and you could see the car yes. get absorbed into the wall but you kind of lost the car and and yeah. I I was and I don't typically get nervous, but I was really 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 and because I was watching it with my wife and her reaction was the exact same. Like we were really panicked for a couple of minutes there, and and fortunately you know you, you could see him begin to stir in the cockpit and he, and he climbed out and things like that. But you're you're right. Like the the Vettel the Vettel miscue was obviously uh, a mechanical issue from the team, but having functioning brakes is the bare minimum that you can ask of a Formula One team, right? Like Ferrari is doing everything wrong right now but they can't even equip a car with functioning brakes for their home grand prix like ferrari is a, a total disaster right now and even the mistake that charles made at parabolica like that's not a that's not a leclerc type of mistake he doesn't make those types of mistakes and typically you Conspiracy. would well, for sure and typically if he makes a mistake like that okay you know is he under intense pressure is he fighting for a race win but he was deep in the teens at that point i don't know where he was 13 12 13 14 oh, no i think he this was right after the uh red flag he ah. was actually running up in the points yeah so I'm, I'm pulling a you, i think he was like I'm pulling a or somewhere yeah oh yeah 100%. Can we talk about um, Crofty real quick before we forget? Please. What the heck? I'm not okay with it right now. I'm really disappointed. And uh, No, I'm not even disappointed. I'm angry with the mistakes that he's making. There was one point in the race that he was talking about Leclerc overtaking Albon when we could clearly see that it was it Albon was overtaking Leclerc. Yep. And it's not even like one of the cars is bright red and the yeah. other one is blue. Yep. I mean, you can easily get the two mixed up. No, so that was not okay when he did that. And he didn't even notice when Albon slipped all the way down the order from at the very, very beginning on the opening lap. Like, there was no mention of that. So I'm just frustrated. Like, I don't know how long, how much longer I can cope with hearing all of the mistakes that he's making. And I don't know. I don't like it right now. I know commentating is a hard job and I really respect what they are doing. But like you have to you have to pick up on these things. Like you have to talk about them. You have to get it right. And there's just too many mistakes that outweigh the good stuff that he's doing at the minute. Especially with the amount yeah, of data that they have at their disposal, right? Like they, they, yeah, they have they've far got like more seven different yeah, screens. Exactly. And and I I think we probably both remember, like, let's flash back to Lewis's win on the delaminating tire in Silverstone a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, and Hamilton's making the final corner. Like that's not the final corner. He's got like six corners. Like he's basically declaring Hamilton the winner and he's not even close to finishing the race. Like it's been, it's been a little bit disappointing for sure. So I totally agree. Um, back to Ferrari, their, their year of pain continues. Um, I, I think what's probably really discouraging for that team and for Ferrari fans is, um, really that the car spec is frozen for next year. So what you're seeing this year is largely going to carry over to next year with some minor incremental changes. So I, I don't see there being any hope for Ferrari, at least prior to 2022. And again, we talk about the Red Bull situation being kind of a situation of their own making. Ferrari's is the exact same thing. Like all of the struggles that they're experiencing are, are self-made totally self-incurred yep 100 percent. i don't have any sympathy and i watched an interview i don't know if you caught it of i think it would have been much earlier than the race maybe like 11 o'clock so you might have been asleep um <laughs> but lando norris was talking about uh, whether he felt sorry for charles at this moment because ferrari is struggling so much and he was like no ferrari are obviously gonna they're gonna come back from it they're gonna come back up to the top he's already had like an incredible year last year like charles did do an incredible job last year with his two wins and however many podiums and getting the most pole positions so lando's like no i don't feel sorry for him and i think 
that's how we should all feel like we should not feel sorry for ferrari because they bring this on themselves like they knew they knew what they were playing at with the engine game last year and they knew what they were doing so i don't have sympathy now that they have put themselves in this position get firing a uh, river bene in uh, at the end of 2018 and bringing in bonotto like you i don't think that was a good idea and that was a product of their own making because they don't like see, not seeing instant results and uh, I don't think Ariva Bene necessarily did the best job, but at the end of the day, to f- keep firing, Ferrari have got themselves into a little revolving door situation where they can't keep, se- where they can't seem to keep a team principle. And yeah, exactly, it's a product of their own making. So I 100% agree with you, and I have absolutely zero sympathy right now. All we really know is obviously Carlos Sainz is leaving a really great situation at McLaren to join Ferrari next year, and. I, I still I still don't think that was the wrong decision for him to make when Ferrari comes. And again, that, that conversation happened before this year, so he couldn't necessarily have known what was going to happen. Um, and of course, Vettel's not going to be in there next year, which is possibly the best possible thing for him. Uh, I, I've, I've started tuning out, by the way, because it seems like there's a rumor before every single race weekend that this is the race weekend yep. where Racing Point is going to announce the signing of Sebastian Vettel. And this has been ongoing now for two months maybe two and a half months and it still hasn't happened. Yeah. So I've just started ignoring those those comments. But maybe a couple of other quick things to hit on before we move on. One, uh, the last race weekend for Frank and Claire Williams, um, surpri- maybe surprisingly, but obviously we, we talked a little bit last time about the fact that the U.S. private equity company, Doorless and Capital, had moved in and taken yeah. over. My assumption was that Frank and Claire would conclude the season with the team. Me too. Um, they announced earlier this week, I think and I think it was an announcement that Claire made on Instagram or Twitter, right, where she posted that video talking about the fact that Monza would be her last race. That was so sad. So that was their final race weekend. Um, she she finished the race weekend. She said goodbye to everyone in the paddock, um, kind of as a recap for everybody. Uh, the Williams team has been in Formula One since 1977. The, the Williams family concluded their run with the team after the race at Monza. This is a team that has nine constructors titles. They won in 80, 81, 86, 87, 92, 93, 94, 96, 97 after that hugely successful one run with the Renault power unit. Um, and then they have seven driver titles, 80, 82, 87, 92, 93, 96. And then most recently with Jacques Villeneuve, the Canadian driver in 97. Um, they have 114 race wins and 312 podiums. Um, really with the exception of Maybe the last 20 years, this team had been an absolute powerhouse in Formula One. And for all the reasons that we talked about last week in that the team is eager to keep their heritage payments coming, Williams will remain on the grid as far as branding is concerned. But obviously, a, a big emotional part of that team is gone now that Frank and Claire are no longer a part of the, the day-to-day operations of the, the team. Yeah. Um, and to touch on your point, I actually really don't like the fact that they are keeping the Williams name. I would rather the Williams name have gone out on a high when the family could control what that name stood for. So I'm not, I don't think I would like it if Doralton Capital, I can't say it, Doralton Capital uh, ruins the team, ruins their legacy. And I think the only reason that essentially they are keeping the name is basically to get that heritage payment. And I, I'm not, I don't like that at all. Um, I would rather the Williams have left I would rather the Williams family had left the team on a high, sold the team, sold the name, not the name, uh, let the team change the name so that it could be rebranded as something else. Like, I don't like the idea of them having no control over what the Williams name now stands for in Formula One. But I know that this issue has actually hit harder, hit you much harder than it has me because I wasn't really a Williams fan and I didn't know Williams in the glory days. So, like, how are you feeling about all of this going on because I feel like it will be much more emotional for you than it is for me. It's it's really tough, right? Because and and I shouldn't really say the last 20 years have been a disaster because they've been they've been okay, right? Like yeah. they finished third in the constructors in 2014 and they had a really competitive 2015. It's it's really only been 2016, 17, 18, 19 and 20, like maybe the last five campaigns where the the teams really bottomed out and at the end of the day they're their lack of success has been purely and fundamentally driven by the current Concord agreement and their total lack of kind of incoming capital as a result of as a result of a lack of constructors points. Um, but I, I think the family's just at a point where, hey, 
Formula One has outgrown our ability to fund a team. So it's really, really sad. Now, had this happened 20 years ago, you know, where they were kind of fresh off of some race victories and things like that, it would be different, but they haven't won a race since 2012. And that Pastor Maldonado race victory was full disclosure with a total fluke, total fluke. And I can't believe, I still don't believe that that happened. It was the craziest thing. And if you, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go check it out on YouTube. It's, it's really, 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 <laughs> really entertaining to watch. But, and again, aside from the fact that, um, Lance put in that heroic effort under red flag conditions at uh, Baku in 2017. They probably wouldn't have had a podium for the last five years. So I, at the end of the day, I, I think had they not done what they did, the team would have slipped into administration and it would have been picked apart by um, creditors and it could have been much uglier. So I, I like the fact that it's kind of a clean break, but you're right. Like, is it appropriate that they keep the branding for the sake of the heritage payments? I don't know. And maybe they don't anyways. And maybe ultimately uh, rebranding it for the benefit of a sponsor is more lucrative anyways. But hopefully it just means one more team that's going to be a little bit more competitive on the grid. And, and I think we reported on our uh, Twitter page as well that Dorlaton is doing a, a pretty significant inventory of um, all of the company's capital assets, their people. Um, and at this point with... Claire and Frank no longer in the building. Um, there's no reason for them to hold back in terms of making changes. And and I also have to wonder if that's potentially going to extend to the drivers as well, right? We know we know George and we know Nicholas are under contract for next year, but at the end of the day, we also know that contracts can be bought out. And I don't think George Russell's going to go anywhere, but I think it's really incumbent upon Latifi to put in some really strong results for the rest of the year because I don't know that he's necessarily guaranteed a, a seat next year. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, actually, to speak to that, uh, we did see Latifi do a really great job in Monza. He finished 11th, I want to say. Yep. Uh, so just outside of the points. And he was actually running the points for a decent portion of the race. Um, I think he did his best performance in Monza. And it would have been really nice. I really wanted the to see Williams get a point or two points to send off Claire and Frank. Uh, but alas, that did not come to fruition. But yeah, I think Latifi definitely put in a decent performance this weekend. And yeah, like you said, I think he is the one that's going to be in trouble. At the end of the day, he got that drive based on money. Yeah. And I think he's a very talented driver and he's got a lot of potential. But Williams basically put him in that car because he was bringing investment and that's exactly why they put Lance Stroll in the car yep. I'm not saying that they didn't deserve to be Rock, there yeah. but exactly yeah they were pay drivers and even to a certain extent Robert Kubica because yep. he brought a lot of sponsorship last year awesome point um so I think Williams don't really well Doralton Capital won't really need the investment and the money that Nicholas Latifi is bringing in so is he's not as integral for the team next year so that will be interesting to see whether they will try and bring someone else in we know that they obviously have uh some strong development drivers and some strong drivers in their development program so we've got jamie chadwick who is actually a development driver for williams i want to say um so yeah she's in their uh, factory development team they also have dan tictum who recently had his race win from monza taken away from him but he is a strong candidate to be in that Williams seat as well and he's actually doing quite well in Formula 2 this year so those two are definitely ones that you could definitely see being well that I can definitely see being in the Williams uh, seat from 2022 onwards definitely and I think even if Nicholas Latifi does get 2021 and his contract is upheld I would definitely be worried for his contract beyond then wouldn't you say yeah I, I completely agree I, I was and I'm glad you brought this up because I kind of skipped over it a little bit well I neglected it entirely but yeah he finished 11th so just outside the points um, his second 11th place finish of the year those are the two best results that Williams has had incidentally so the two best results they've had were actually both from Nicholas Latifi I, I think if if I want to credit him with anything, he's he's definitely a mature driver and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, part of that probably is just age as well, right? Like he's a rookie, but I think this is one of the things that could potentially harm him is he's 25. Like he doesn't have a lot of runway. When you look at some of these other drivers, like 
we're talking 19, 20, 21, like that, that's where the future of the sport is. And to have a rookie when he's 25, like, is he at his peak? Has he hit a ceiling from a maturity standpoint for sure? Um, but hopefully he can continue to rack up some performances like this and just make sure that he has that opportunity to come back next year um, strong. And I, I think for him, his benchmark isn't necessarily um, being in the points, but if he can, if he can out qualify uh, George Russell every second race, if he can consistently compete with him um, in terms of placement at the end of the race, I think that's good because I think we all recognize that George Russell is a hugely talented driver and will eventually be with Mercedes. But if you can use him as your benchmark and you can compete with him, then you're then you're doing relatively well. But you can't you can't go into free practice and post a time slower than Nasani. You know what I mean? Like that was Oh my god, that was embarrassing. Exactly, exactly. So the 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 race was actually a bit of a, a recourse for him, but yeah, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. Anything else? Like I think we've covered a ton of stuff. So um an absolutely brilliant race from an entertainment perspective. I, I couldn't be yeah. happier. And it's funny, this is why we sit through the procession of Mercedes and Red Bull dominance, because we get to have a really exciting weekend like this, but any last comments to add before we sign off? Well, I want to ask you what you think about, well, obviously we know that you love the race. We know that I love the race. Like the race was insane and we loved it. So we saw the grid be more jumbled up than we've ever seen it before. And my question to you and to everyone listening would be, should we artificially make the grid more shuffled up with things like reverse grid qualifying or championship order like backwards championship order starting grids to create more exciting races like this because i don't think we should do that um i think watching the like you said watching the procession of mercedes and red bull winning all the time then makes these races even more special but i also think it's not necessarily fair to watch to force the championship winners to like have to start from the back of the grid like we saw mercedes this weekend is not really very good at uh, coming through the pack because it's not really good with following other cars but would it be something that formula one should consider to uh, keep engaging the fans to make it more fresh so that we can see more crazy races like this because i can guarantee that next week we're going to be back to the normality of mercedes one two um, so yeah, what do you think about that? I hate the idea of reverse grids. I, I absolutely, oh. I hate, the, I hate it. And, and I hate it because I, I think it, let, let's put it in the context of a different sport. It would be the equivalent of Liverpool or Man City or Man U playing a team that's on the periphery of relegation, but give it, spotting them a three goal lead. So, hey, Southampton's coming into Manchester to play Man City. Um, they're 40 points behind them in the table. Yeah. Give them a three-goal head start. Like, that—that that is the exact equivalent, and I cannot stomach that. Like, if Formula One wants to create more parity and have better races, you have to do that through the Concord Agreement, and you have to do it through the rules and regulations. And I'm confident yeah. we're going to get there in 2022. But I, I think having a reverse grid is is really problematic because it reduces the integrity of the race, right? Like if I'm Lewis Hamilton and I get caught up at the back of the pack with some inferior drivers and they consistently make contact with me and I'm consistently losing, not because I can't get through the field, but because I'm getting like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I, I don't yeah. feel it. And as much as I don't like the procession that we're seeing so far, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to get to the desired state. And the desired state is what we saw yesterday. But I think you do it through rules and regulations and through increasing parity. I don't think you do it through reverse grids. I don't feel that at all. What about you? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think a lot of the younger fans as well want to see like reverse grids, but I am not in that group of fans. I just think that Mercedes are where they are for a reason. Exactly. It's like giving people an unfair advantage. And even though it, I don't even necessarily think it would make the race too crazy because if you've got a Williams at the front, all they're going to do is fall back down the order uh, right now. So what you have to do is you have to start at the base. You have to start with the car, making that more equal. And I think that that's what the rules and regulations shake up for 2022 is going to be attempting to do. And I think that's that's what we're looking for, more equality within the cars rather than artificially changing up the grid before a race to cre artificially create a different result. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting last year that the W Series had done a, it's kind of an experiment, and I don't know if you remember this, but the W Series had done that non-points reverse 
reverse grid race based on champion drivers championships points to that point and megan gilkis the canadian driver who unfortunately wasn't able to get a seat for 2020 um she actually started the race first because she was last in the championship and she won the race and it was a thrilling race but i don't necessarily think that's what would translate over to formula one because in the w series the cars are effectively all the same equal exactly and in formula one that's not the case i think the right thing to do is let's get through the next year and a half hopefully we see some other great results and then we get to parity with the new concord agreement that's what i I hope to see but again I, i just can't fault mercedes because they are supremely more capable than all these other teams and they're just more efficient with the resources that they have exactly and to that point specifically i think it's the responsibility of the other teams and formula one to make the other nine teams that are behind mercedes even better like it's not mercedes's responsibility to be worse than they are it's everyone else's responsibility to get better and i think that that's what formula one needs to instill in everyone and we can't solve that problem by just switching around the grid into championship order so i definitely don't think that that's the solution to creating more exciting races at all and and even if you did that what's to say that ferrari and mercedes would tolerate that what what what's to say they don't say hey that's not cool i'm out like if i'm mercedes why yeah. why would i continue to invest in this sport knowing that there's going to be like there's i think it would be really 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 problematic um and i think the right way to address it is through the concord agreement which is what they're doing um but ultimately mercedes is just taking advantage of the current situation they're not exploiting it they're just working within the framework that they're allowed to work in there's no cost cap um, because they win they get the most points like it's yeah anyways i think we're both uh, pretty much aligned Anything else? I'm glad you brought up reverse grid because I had that written down, but I forgot to get to it. Um, anything else you want to touch on? No, I'm actually, I'm all talked out. I mean, this race, I, th- I think I could go on forever about how great this race was. And I probably will go on about it forever. But um, yeah, I think I've exhausted all of my points for today. <laughs> That's all I've got. So for everybody, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week to recap Magello, which is ultra exciting because that's going to be the first race of the season where we're at an unfamiliar track and it's something we've been yeah. building to all year. Yeah, and Ferrari's 1000th race. So uh, let's see how far behind the top 10 they'll finish. Yeah, there'll definitely be a double non-points finish, unfortunately, for, <laughs> for the Ferrari team. But with that, guys, peace. peace.